the other 99% of you, how are you out there? Get your Bibles out this morning. We're not going to turn to a scripture, but I want you to hold it in your hand. Father, we just thank you this morning for your word. We thank you this morning that we have this treasure you've given us, 66 books from Genesis to Revelation that reveal your risen Christ and your plan for man and your love from cover to cover. Father, I pray this morning as we enter a new study, Lord God, that our hearts would be opened and that you would begin to pour in the gems and the pearls of wisdom that you have hidden in your word for those who seek you with their whole hearts. Father, I pray that we would have ears to hear and hearts with fallow ground broken up, ready to receive. I pray this in Jesus' name, and the church said, Amen. Amen. I want to start in a new series here. The Lord's had this on my heart for a while. Uh, was one that is somewhat of a great undertaking because it covers such a big theme in the New Testament. But I want to preach a sermon series on the miracles of Jesus. And we're going to talk about miracles this morning and the miracles that Jesus did. And each of them have implications for us. Each of them were done for specific reasons that give us uh, encouragement and show us the nature of God and also show us how we should walk because Jesus said, greater things than this shall you do. It's one thing to look at the miracles of Jesus and go, wow, way to go, Jesus, that's awesome. But Jesus has handed the church the baton and signs, wonders, and miracles should follow those who are born again, amen? So in looking at the miracles of Jesus, I want to start by saying this. When Jesus walked the earth, when he was born in a manger, when he grew up in his town, he seemed very ordinary to many, many people. In fact, even when they encountered him as a grown man in the fullness of his ministry, they said, isn't this the carpenter's son? Isn't Mary his mother? Don't we know his brothers and sisters? Jesus seemed ordinary to many people. In fact, the prophet Isaiah had this to say about the physical appearance of Jesus in the eyes of man. Isaiah 53, 2 said this, For he shall grow up before him a tender plant, and as a root out of dry ground. Listen, he has no form or comeliness, and when we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. Basically, when he says there's no form, it says he had no majesty about him, although he was the majesty. He had no comeliness. What is that? He had no splendor. There was no regal robes. There was no kingly attire. There was no crown on his head. He looked ordinary to people. In fact, looks-wise, Isaiah is saying here, Jesus wouldn't have stood out in a crowd. We know King Saul stood out in a crowd. He was head and shoulders above everybody else. He was good-looking. David was a good-looking young man. Look at the humility of Jesus that he comes to earth, and he comes in a form that's just average. Come on, don't look at me like that. If you got to pick how you looked, right? Come on, ladies, you sit in the mirror. You're looking, I would change this, and I would change that. And Jesus just came humble and ordinary. There was nothing attractive about him physically that would draw men to him. That's what Isaiah is saying here. Jesus is meek in appearance, yet at the age of 30, the meekness of his appearance, the ordinary 
things about him are shattered as his three-year public ministry begins. Now this ordinary son of a carpenter begins to do miracles that throw the religious community into a tailspin and the masses into obsessed multitudes of sign seekers. They thronged him, Pastor Mike. They wouldn't let him breathe. They wouldn't give him a minute. They grabbed the hem of his garment. They, they pushed in. They cried out. The religious community, man, he's killing us here. He's doing everything we should be doing that we don't do. Jesus seemed ordinary for 30 years, but for three years as his public ministry uh, took its root, miracles followed him everywhere he went. And please note, the Bible says that there were many more signs and miracles and wonders that Jesus did that aren't written down in Scripture. But listen, there are 37 miracles captured in the New Testament for us to experience. 37. You might say, well, it seems like more than that. That's because the Gospels repeat them, and that adds validity to them. It adds different perspective and dimension to them. But there are 37 miracles captured in the New Testament. The 37 miracles performed by Jesus are all chronicled in the four Gospels. You look in the Gospels, you're going to see the miracles of Jesus. Most of these miracles are covered by multiple Gospel writers. The same miracle in different Gospels from slightly different perspectives with different nuances and details. How, how many understand that adds validity to the strength of Scripture? Why? Because if you have three eyewitnesses accounts... They're all going to include different details and different perspectives. If we had three exact same perspectives, that would suggest that the scripture was written by one person or it was, it was manipulated to sound correct and dovetail together. So understand, the reason God includes these things uh, several times in several places, most of these miracles are chronicled by several gospel writers. And we're we're going to talk about just the breakdown of how these miracles work before I jump into uh, what I want to share with you this morning here, but understand something. Each writer has miracles listed that are unique to their gospel. So while some writers uh, say the same miracles over and over, uh, John has seven miracles that are exclusive only to the book of John. John's writings are unique, and I always encourage people when they get saved to start in the book of John. It's a powerful book. Seven miracles exclusive to John. Luke has four. Matthew and Mark have two. Two miracles that only happen in Matthew and Mark. Now, 12 of the 37 miracles are covered in three of the Gospels. So see, there's God making points. Now, as I preach through some of these miracles, I'm probably going to cover the ones that are, that are more covered by most Gospel writers. There's a reason God does that. It's like an emphatic point that he's trying to make to us. When God says something three times, we should pay attention. So uh, there's 12 miracles that are covered in three of the Gospels. Only one miracle is covered in all four of the Gospels. Did you know that? It's the feeding of the 5,000. You know, it's no shock to me that it's a food miracle. <laughs> the feeding of the 5,000 is covered in all four Gospels, and it's the only miracle of Jesus. That is, he fed 5,000-plus people with five loaves and two fish, and that is, the, that is the miracle that is emphasized most in Scripture, God's power over uh, substance, God's power over uh, what we consider, you know, to be, you, you can't take five loaves and two fishes and feed all these people, Jesus said, hold my matzah and watch this. <laughs> 37 miracles can be broken down into seven categories. If you're taking notes today, 
Um, I want to give you the seven categories. The first category is feeding multitudes of people, and that happens two times. The second category is casting out evil spirits, and that happens four times. Number three, turning water into wine, and unfortunately for you, it only happened once. The next is exercising dominion over nature. He had dominion, what, over the wind and the waves, over gravity. He could walk on water. He could curse a fig tree, and it would wither. The fifth is directing a huge catch of fish, and that happens two times. Exercising dominion over nature happens three times. Raising the dead, number six, happens three times. Now listen to this. Number seven, healing the sick, happens 22 times. The fact that the emphasis is on healing physical bodies at the vast majority of Jesus' miracles are physical miracles of healing is telling. Now, we, I noticed the reaction from us when we said, you know, the, the, the biggest number, healing of the body. Hey, everybody's like, amen, we like that. We like healing of the body, don't we? Yeah. But like my notes say and like Colleen said, you know, the greatest miracle is a soul that's saved, that it's saved from hell and, and is born again and revived and becomes alive, amen? That's the greatest miracle, not healing bodies, Yet we get more excited about healing bodies than anything else. Now listen, why were the most miracles about healing the body? Why were they the greatest in number? It's because of, it's because of God's humility and our weakness. It's because Jesus was humble enough to meet people's greatest perceived need first. That's why he healed bodies more than anything else. People perceive that, you know, when I'm sick, all I want to do is I want to be better. Jesus knew what good does it do to heal a body if the soul is still lost. The greatest miracle, the one we should get most excited about is the fact that God saves people from their sins and they get born again and they become, they turn sinners into saints, amen? Uh, it's even, I'm even having a hard time getting some, you know, some feedback on that. Yeah, let's tell us about the withered hand. Tell us about the crippled leg. Tell, you know, but the soul that's saved is the greatest miracle. Why did Jesus heal bodies so much? Because people didn't perceive that as their greatest need. They perceived, I'm sick, I want to feel better. And he was humble enough to meet people where they're at. That shows the humility of God. Wow, yeah, I'll fix your body, but your heart. I'll heal your, your, your body, but your soul. And, and Jesus does these things, and we're going we're gonna to see why he does but understand the greatest miracle is salvation. And all of these other things are for a purpose. Uh, even though that he healed the sick the most, 22 times he, he did that. We're going to see it's his great humility and compassion that allows him to do that. And still today, how many know these signs shall follow them that believe? They will lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. Come on, church. Amen. I hear you, Pastor Mike. I'm waiting for the rest of them. All right. I'm done waiting. Five reasons Jesus did miracles. Number one, the first reason Jesus did miracles is this, to fulfill prophecy. We got to know why he did these things. You know, it wasn't like Jesus was bored in heaven and, and God the Father said, why don't you go down there and, you know, do some tricks? And Jesus thought, yeah, that'd be a hoot. Some of you are way too serious. 
Yeah, Jesus is just down there. He's entertaining the people. You know, look what he did. You know, he's pulling a rabbit out of the hat. He's healing bodies. He's doing all that stuff. Why did Jesus do miracles? Number one reason was to fulfill prophecy. Old Testament prophecy concerning, concerning the Christ is very clear that Messiah would be a miracle working healer. If you look through the scripture, it, it talks about who he is and what he's going to do. Listen to Isaiah 35, 5 and 6. Then the eyes of those who are blind will be open. The ears of those who are deaf will be unstopped. Those who are lame will leap like a deer, and the tongue of those who cannot speak will shout for joy, for waters will burst forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. That's a picture in Isaiah of Messiah, and what is he going to do? He's going to open blind eyes, deaf ears, the lame are going to walk, the mute are going to speak. That's a picture of Jesus. When we look at the Old Testament, if Jesus just came, you know, and all he did was speak or all he did was share theology and there were no signs, no wonders, no miracles, that couldn't be the Messiah that the Old Testament prophesied about. So to fulfill prophecy, what did he do? He opened blind eyes. He opened deaf ears. The lame did leap and and shout and praise God as he said to them, get up. And they did get up. He opened, you know, the mute could speak. And all of these things happened in the ministry of Jesus. They happened not to entertain humanity, not to just uh, be some sort of point of show for God to show his power, but they happened to fulfill scripture so that the world would know that Jesus is Messiah. Now, Jesus isn't just a healer. He's the source of all our healing. And you think, oh, yeah, my body, he's the source. He's the great physician. He's my doctor. No, all healing, emotional healing, mental healing, spiritual healing. Yes, physical healing. Come on. But it's the whole entire package. Jesus didn't just save me so that I didn't have to go to hell and then get my body healthy so I could enjoy life and I'm an emotional wreck, I'm a mental wreck, I'm a spiritual wreck. Hello? It's the complete package. Jesus is the complete package. You talk about health benefits. Woo! Jesus care. (laughs) That wasn't in my notes. I don't know where that came from. Isaiah 53, 4 through 5. Listen to Isaiah again. Surely he hath borne our griefs. He has carried our sorrows. Look at that. Our griefs, our sorrows, our emotions, our mental state. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. Thank you, Jesus. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. That's the total package, people. (laughs) Jesus was wounded. He was bruised. He was chastised. He was striped. What does that mean? He was whipped. The, the, The flogging, the whipping, the beating he took purchased for us healing in our bodies. That's where it comes from. He's not just a healer. Oh, Jesus was the original faith healer. No, he is the source of all healing. Whatever healing you need today is available in Jesus The Old Testament predicted this. Uh, I gave you two scriptures from Isaiah. We can go on and on with messianic prophecies. Jesus fulfilled every single one of them. He is the promised one. He fulfills scripture. He fulfills the Old Testament. He heals bodies, but more importantly, he has healed the fractured relationship between the Father and humanity. Thank you, Jesus. 
Amen. The second reason Jesus did miracles was this, to show who his father was. Isn't this the carpenter's son? Well, no, it's not. Isn't this Mary's son? No, he's not. They were his parents on earth, but he is from his heavenly father. And Jesus did miracles and did things to show who his heavenly father was. Now realize, there, there is nothing showy about Jesus. Although these miracles, if a, a person in our generation were to do some of these miracles, boy, you know, the world would try and sensationalize it. They want them to write books, start a TV show. I mean, you know, understand, there is nothing showy about Jesus. Jesus never took glory. He didn't even come to do his own thing. He said, I only do what I see my father doing. Jesus' miracles reveal that God is his father, but they also bring glory to God. And that should be the focus of each of our lives. Why do we seek to use our ministry gifts, do signs, wonders, and miracles, uh, lay hands on the sick and have them recover? It's not to establish ourselves, to establish our own ministries. Why why don't we have some of these things happening today in, in the earth? I'll tell you why. Because people don't have the character to deal with it if God allowed it to happen. What am I saying? I'm saying man would take the glory and not give it to God. So if we want more miracles, we need humility. Jesus did miracles to show who his father was. Nobody could do the things that Jesus was doing. The Pharisees, the Sadducees were in a tailspin. They couldn't deal with it. The kingdom of God had exploded right in the middle of their dry, dead religion. His miracles galvanized the fact that he was from God and that God was his father, even though they constantly bucked against that when they couldn't refute the miracles, when they couldn't refute the power of God, when they couldn't refute that the kingdom had come in the midst of them, instantly they plotted to kill him. It was their only recourse. Repent, acknowledge their own broken state, or get rid of him. Jesus did miracles to show that God was his father. Listen to what he says in John 10, 37 through 38. If I do not do the works of my father, do not believe me. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works so that you may know and understand that the father is in me and I in the father. That couldn't explain it any better. Jesus did what he did to show that the Father was in him, he was in the Father, that he was from God, that God was his Father, he was the fulfillment of all the prophecies, he was Messiah, and that there was no disputing it. The miracles he did silenced his detractors and smashed all doubt and unbelief. The Pharisees even came to him and said, we know that you come from God because nobody can do these wondrous signs and miracles if they weren't from God. So even the religious elite who were plotting to kill him had to acknowledge God was his father. Number three, the third reason that Jesus does miracles, and I like this one. Number three is one of my favorite points, because he loves people. Jesus did miracles, and Jesus does miracles because he loves people. Matthew 14, 14. When he came ashore... 
he saw a large crowd and he felt compassion for them and he healed their sick. Look at that. What did Jesus, oh, another crowd. Oh, I got to work all day. It's going to be a 14-hour shift. No, he gets out of the boat. I don't know about you. When I get out of a boat, I want to just relax a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> Ever been in a boat? Jesus gets out of the boat. He sees a massive crowd. Why? Because the signs, wonders, and miracles he, were, he was doing were, were attracting massive crowds. Remember, I said one of the, one of the things that happened is the, the, the religious community was all broken up, but the people wanted to follow him. So here's this massive crowd. And what does Jesus do? He feels compassion on them. I want you to see that. This is so important that we understand the heart of God towards his people. It's not one of annoyance. It's not one of responsibility. It's not one of what what do you need from me now? It's compassion. Jesus looked and he had compassion. What did he do? He healed their sick. He ministered to them. He did miracles among them. Why? Because he loved them and he felt their brokenness and he felt their pain and he wanted to minister to them. You say, well, why does Jesus feel like that? Well, Jesus was intimately involved in our creation. Many of us think, you know, God, God the Father did all the creating, and Jesus and the Holy Spirit just kind of you watched, and they, they were clapping, way to go, God, it was awesome. But really, what Scripture says is something different here. In Colossians 1, 15 through 16, we get a picture of creation here that happened in Genesis. It says, Who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature? Listen, verse 16, Colossians 1. For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. Speaking of Jesus. Isn't it interesting that he created all things? He, 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 he was involved in creation intimately in our creation, involved not just as a spectator. It says what? That he created thrones, dominions, principalities, and powers. Isn't that interesting that the devil tried to say, him, if you worship me, I'll give you all the kingdoms and the thrones and the powers of earth. Huh. Just like the devil trying to give something away that's not his. But Jesus is and was the creator. And so it's very natural. If you create something, you love it. You build something in your wood shop, you love it. It doesn't matter if it's crooked, if nobody else likes it. You you know, you make something, you design something, you write a piece of music, hopefully you like it. You make children. Even though if they're the snottiest little bratty kid on the block, oh, my little baby. You love them. What we create, we love. Why does Jesus love us? He's our creator. He was intimately involved in our creation. He knit us together in our mother's wombs, in the inward parts, in the bowel. He knew. I mean, think about that. Chose our eye color, our hair color, our personality, or lack thereof. He, he, he gave us our physical stature. <laughs> Unique and intimate. Jesus does miracles because he loves people. He still loves people, and we need to love people. And we need to pray God does miracles for people because there's so many people who are hurting and broken who need to experience the miracle-working power of Jesus. Number four, the fourth reason Jesus did miracles. 
did them to fulfill prophecy, to show who his father was. He did them because he loved people. And number four, he did them to help the lost believe. Miracles are hard to argue with. Theology is easy to argue with. Religion's easy to argue about. Denominationalism is proof that even people who are saved can argue about theological things to the point where it brings division to the body of Christ. Well, we believe this. Well, we're starting our own church. Well, we believe that. Well, we're going we're gonna to start our own place. And, and we fracture the body of Christ over theology. Theology is easy to argue with. Miracles are not. Testimonies are not. Whenever you witness to somebody about Jesus, share your testimony. Well, I don't have one. Yes, you do. Sit down. Let the Holy Spirit show you what your testimony is here. You didn't get here by accident. You're a miracle today. And so understand, uh, miracles help the lost believe. The Princeton Religious Research Center of Emerging Trends did a study, and they asked the control group, a large group of adults, do you agree or mostly agree that today miracles are still performed by the power of God? What a question. Shockingly, 82% of the people surveyed said yes, they believe that God still does miracles. That's astounding. I, I can't believe you're just looking at me. Because you can't get 82% of anybody to agree on anything. In fact, if we, if we just did a survey in here, I bet you we couldn't get 82% of us to agree on anything. Yet people still believe in miracles. And that's why they're still important. And that's why they still need to happen in the church. Because people on the outside looking in don't want to hear our rhetoric. They don't want to hear our theology. They want to see proof of it in action. 82% still believe. Jesus did miracles so that people who saw the miracles would believe in God. Now, John 2.23 says this, when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover, during the feast, many believed in his name. Say many. many. Many believed in his name as they observed his signs, which he was doing. So the belief was produced by the signs that were being done. They saw the miracles. They saw the signs. They saw the wonders. They knew this guy is special. He's got to be from God. And so they believed in him. John 20 20 through 31. I'm just going to read a portion of it here. So then many other signs Jesus also performed in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Wow. Powerful stuff, amen. So these miracles are what? They're for the the, the unbeliever to look and say, you know, there's something here that's real, that's true, that's tangible. It's hard to argue with miracles. A boisterous, unbelieving lecturer who was an atheist went to a mining town in North England, and he gave an address in which he thought he had demolished all the arguments for the Bible, Christ, and Christianity. He concluded his arrogant talk by saying, now, I hope, I've I hope I have succeeded in explaining to you that the existence of Jesus Christ is a myth. As he finished speaking, a miner dressed in grimy clothes stood up and said, sir, I am only a working man. 
I don't know what you mean by the word myth, but I ask you this, can you explain me? Three years ago, I had a miserable home. I neglected my wife and my children. I cursed and swore and drank up everything I earned. Then someone came along and showed me the love of God and his son, Jesus Christ, and now everything is different. We are happy at home. I love my wife. I love my children. I feel better in every way. I gave up drinking, and the power of God has taken possession of me since Christ came into my heart. Sir, he said, his face all ago, can you explain me? The lecturer had no explanation to give, but the miner sent people home feeling that the Bible was still the word of God. Jesus was anything but a myth, and the gospel was the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believed. Can you explain me? Can, can you be explained? Changed lives, snatched from the muck and the mire, lost and now found, addicted, broken, sinful, now holy and righteous by the blood of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. <clears throat> Miracles are there. Miracles are there to help the lost believe. There's no greater miracle than a transformed life. Can you explain me? No, there is no explanation other than the fact that the Jesus chronicled in these pages is alive and well and still changing lives one at a time. Those of us who weren't there to see the miracles of Jesus can experience them as the Holy Spirit makes them come alive to us in the Scripture. As we read the Scripture, 37 miracles, what are they there for? So that the Holy Ghost can make them leap off the page and increase our faith in God. Miracles are there to help the lost believe. Yet we didn't see the miracles of Jesus. But John said this, John 20, 29 because have you, you have seen me, Jesus said. Remember, Thomas was doubting. He, he wasn't there when Jesus appeared. And he basically said, unless I see the nail-scarred hands and feet, unless I put my hand in his side, I'm not going to believe that he's risen. So what does Jesus do? He holds off for a while, then he just walks through a wall. And he says, hey, Tommy, come over here. That's the Italian Jesus. He said, because you have seen me, Thomas is like, oh, my Lord, my God, my Savior. Tommy gets all religious. He sees what he wants to see. Jesus says, because you have seen me, you have now believed. But blessed are they who did not see and yet believed. Who are they? We, us. We haven't seen what Jesus has done when he walked the earth, but we've seen him move by the Spirit, and we've seen, I've seen healing miracles in my own life, in this church, in people's lives, amen? And I know that God heals, and I know that miracles are still for today. He gives us miracles so that the lost will believe to add authenticity to the body of Christ and the ministry of the church. Number five, the last reason that Jesus does miracles is this to strengthen the believer's faith. Now, yes, he gives those miracles so that unbelievers will believe, but guess what? As believers, sometimes we need our faith strengthened as well. Some of us are so spiritually mature that we, we, could, we could honestly say that, you know what, if, if I never saw God do one more miracle, I believe. Amen? 
Like, oh, well, you know, unless I see God raise the dead before I die, I'm not, no, I, I, I believe, amen. But the thing is, when he allows us to experience miracles and to see miracles, they strengthen our faith no matter where we are, no matter how mature we are in the Lord. Why do believers need to see miracles? Because seeing the miraculous pushes the boundaries of what we dare to believe God for. You see, when we see God do amazing things and we see it and we, we get an answer to prayer and it's above and beyond what we could have even hoped for, it pushes the envelope that, God, if you could do that, I can believe you for this. If you can, if you can do that, I can believe you for more. No matter where we are in our walk, our faith needs to be increased. We never graduate, you know, like and get our faith badge. Well, there it is. That's all the faith that I could muster for this lifetime and I've graduated onto something else. No, faith is something that constantly needs to be refreshed and stimulated in us. I want to show you what I mean here, that seeing miracles allows us to push the envelope and push the boundaries for what we can believe God to do. In Matthew 8, 22 through 25, Jesus is on a boat with the disciples. You all know the story. The storm comes up and the boat is sinking and the disciples are bailing it out. And what is Jesus doing? He's sleeping. Was this teenage Jesus? What's going on, Jesus? Well, the boat's sinking. There's a wicked storm. The wind's blowing. What do you got, your iPod on? You can't hear. Don't you know what's going on? Finally, they, they are panicked. The boat is sinking. They're bailing it out, and they wait. They, it's time to wake up Jesus. Huh. So they go, no, they're, Lord, don't you care that we perish? We're drowning. We're done. Jesus is like, ah. Stands up, just like on the front bow of the Titanic silences the wind, the storm stops, the sea turns to glass. And we pick up in Matthew 8. And he said to them, where is your faith? But they were fearful and amazed, saying to one another, who then is this that he commands even the winds and the water? And they obey him. Wow. That was a moment for them. Yeah, they believed in Jesus. Yeah, they left their nets in their boats. Yeah, they followed him. Yeah, they saw him do miraculous things, but this one pushed the envelope. And they were like, who is this dude? That the wind and the waves obey him? What can't he do? Fast forward to Matthew 14. They saw this miracle with their own eyes. They were shocked and there was awe. In Matthew 14, 31 through 32, Peter decides he wants to try and walk on the water. Where did that come from? Well, I, I would dare say Peter would never attempt to walk on the water until he saw Jesus calm the wind and the waves. Because this is an impossibility. The, the physical aspects of, you know, gravity and, and water and all of this stuff. I mean, you, you don't, I, I mean, there's parts, of, there's places where you can almost walk on the water where it's real dirty. But walking on the water is not something people would try. But Peter was willing to try. Why? Because he had seen Jesus turn the stormy sea into glass. And Jesus came walking out to them on water. And, uh, and again, they're afraid, oh, it's a spirit. And what, what's going on? Peter says, hey, if it's you, Lord, let me come out to you. Like, uh, you got to love Peter. You know, for all the knucklehead statements he makes, the only one that Jesus called Satan, get behind me, 
yet he was the only one willing to get out of the boat. He walks on the water, and he walks on the water. He walked on the water. And then he said, I'm walking on the water. And then he got scared, and he started to sink. And we pick up in Matthew 14. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and took hold of him and said, you of little faith, why did you doubt? When they got back into the boat, the wind stopped, and those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, you are truly God's son. I want you to see that. They went from saying, who is this guy? At the first miracle, Peter gets out, gives it a try. Jesus saves him, stops the storm again, and they're like, you're, you're God's son. You're the Christ. Do you see that? Do you see the progression of faith? And that's what I'm talking about here. Even believers need to see miracles so that our faith would increase, so that it would push the envelope of what we're willing to trust God for. Look, if you've seen God move mountains and you've seen God knock giants down and you've seen God stop the winds and the waves and you've seen God provide water from a rock and manna from heaven, you can believe him for bigger things. All of us need our faith increased. Evangelist George Muller, an Englishman, said this about strengthening our faith. We should not shrink from opportunities where our faith may be tested. The more I'm in a position to be tried in faith, the more I'll have the opportunity of seeing God's help and deliverance. Every fresh instance in which God helps and delivers will increase my faith. The believer should not avoid these situations or positions or circumstances in which his faith may be tested, but instead should cheerfully embrace them as opportunities to see the hand of God stretched out to him so his faith can be increased. Don't run away from the testing of your faith. Embrace it. God, it's hard now. God, there's a lot of pressure. God, I don't have all the answers. Rejoice. It's an opportunity for God to show himself strong in your life and increase your faith. Seeing God move in our lives, our homes, our churches, our marriages, our bodies in miraculous ways will always build our faith. And so I ask you today as I close, are you ready to get out of the boat? Let's bow our heads. Father, we need miracles in this generation. We have a, an unbelieving generation that thinks the church is antiquated and that it has nothing to offer. Father, I pray that you would humble us and you would deal with us, our pride and our spiritual laziness, that you would be able to pour miracles out among us. Father, do whatever it takes in the hearts of your people so that these signs will follow those that believe. And Father, as the miracles come, teach us to reflect all the glory to heaven, to our heavenly Father who works these things by his great power. Let the lost believe. Let believers believe once again that the God of the Bible is the God who operates in our modern time and that these things should be commonplace in the house of God. Father, teach us about miracles in these weeks ahead. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. 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 Give him praise this morning.